Store Magic is all about control, a gutsy security startup. Huawei gets flashy. iOS XE isn't easy. Cloudflare boots BMCs. Myriad has some sass. And the AMD CEO is bailing on Cisco's board. This week on The Rundown. Welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown for Wednesday, October the 18th, 2023. Very happy to have you here. Even though it is International No Beard Day, I'm bucking the trend. And in order to celebrate, I'm going to go out and have a chocolate cupcake because it is National Chocolate Cupcake Day. Imagine that. Joining me here on the rundown this week is my friend and uh, fellow Edge Field Day attendee, Brian Knudsen. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. I'm uh, also bucking the trend with don't wear a beard day today, which is very unusual for me. So it's extra special. You know, that's okay. Uh, all the best, smartest engineers have a little bit of hair on their face. It, it hides the frown from having to work on some of the things that, uh, you know, unfortunately are, are not so pleasant. We'll talk about a few of those in just a little bit as we get into the rundown. Uh, but today we're actually going to talk about something exciting that we got a sneak peek at a couple weeks ago. Store Magic has announced the release of their new edge control dashboard today. The goal is to simplify management of SVSAN clusters, no matter where they might be located. The centralized management system does allow administrators to manage geographically diverse deployments from the vaunted single pane of glass. Edge control is hypervisor agnostic, meaning you can manage VMware, uh, Linux KVM, or, or any one of a number of different uh, solutions that you might need to dive into. Now, Brian, as I mentioned at the top of the show, you were a delegate at Edge Field Day 2, and we actually got a special sneak peek at Edge Control uh, kind of in an off-camera embargoed session, and those videos published today on our website at techfieldday.com. But Brian, what did you think about uh, StoreMagic's Edge Control? Yeah, I think it. I think it's a great move on their part. Um, they were pretty open about the fact that it's kind of a, a version 1.0. Um, so, you know, don't, don't expect it to be the best thing ever, um, but they're 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 very happy with it and from what they told us um have been working with a lot of customers and kind of through the beta process um testing it and, and getting some really great feedback um you mentioned the the multiple hypervisor situation they highlighted that at edgefield day talking about how um you know with hyper v you don't have as strong a a centralized management plane like you do with with vsphere and the vsphere console so this has been a huge benefit for for those customers, for their Hyper-V customers, which they have a lot of because, you know, the, the, the use cases overlap a lot more with, with Hyper-V than, than maybe your traditional um, virtual SAN type of software. So having the centralized console where you can manage uh, an edge deployment, a lot of different um, instances is, is a very big deal for them in that regard because edge sometimes is is a lot of really small plate spots and therefore you end up with a very large management domain and in order to properly control that you need cent centralization you need you need something to help do small making changes once and pushing them out to multiple areas and that that is definitely a, a feature of of what they put together for this first version so yeah, really good move on their part. Um, was exciting to um, kind of feel their energy for this when they when they briefed us on it, and to finally see this um, hit the light of day is is really cool. Um, but there is a new startup in the security space, and you might say they have guts. Three former Palo Alto employees, by way of Twistlock, have founded Gutsy. They're targeting the process mining space to help optimize and remediate security processes takes a holistic view of the entire security posture, 
of the organization and looks for inefficiencies within that. Surprisingly, co-founder John Morello mentioned that while the platform does include some AI features, they're bucking the trend by not making that the focus of the platform. So Tom, you've looked into this a little bit more than I have. So interested to hear what you might think about this. I think my favorite thing is that the name of it is just completely anti-Silicon Valley. Like there's no way that anybody would call it that. And all I can think of is Burgess Meredith in Rocky, like walking around going, you gotta have guts. And I like that because basically what they're saying is, is that we're going to start looking into the guts of everything that's running on your systems. And if you're wondering, well, I've never heard of process mining before. Put on your thinking cap for a minute because look at where the trajectory of security has gone for, I don't know, the last five or six years. We've tried to get away from these discrete like ACL based solutions of like this flow talking to these things. That's really hard to like manage, especially when those, you know, <laughs> ACLs have thousands of entries or something like that. And, and what we've been trying to focus on as security professionals is telling people, no, 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 no. What you need to do is you need to focus on the the methodology, the, um, you know, uh, the way that people do the work. So in the background, what you're doing is trying to say, rather than blocking discrete connections, we're going to have some kind of a policy in place that says, you know, these users can talk to these solutions and, and figure out how to make that work. Well, that is better than ACLs. But eventually what happens is, is you get these policies that are layered on top of each other and they stop working efficiently. Um, just like you could have a potential where a line at the bottom of an ACL either blocks a line above it or worse, opens you up to bigger problems. In this particular case, what you've got is maybe one policy is being impacted by another policy that is creating some kind of weird interaction that you weren't inspecting, expecting. Like, you know, members of this group can access this resource, but members of this different group can't. And I'm a member of both groups, so which policy takes precedence? So what Gutsy is effectively trying to do is they're trying to go in and say, okay, we're going to analyze all of these policies and we're going to figure out where the inefficiencies are. And we're going to show you like basically comparison charts. And if there's a problem, you can click here and fix it. Now, the other thing that I thought was really interesting was the fact that they're saying that there's AI in it, but it's not AI focused. That's weird to me because a lot of companies now are trumpeting AI and everything because that's where the money is. And I think that by John Morello saying that there's AI in it, but it's not all we do, what he's effectively doing is he's trying to set a reasonable uh, floor for what the performance of this is going to be. Now, maybe they're going to look at adding more AI feature features in the future, but I think that ultimately they're going to start slow and they're going to gain momentum. And I, I thought it was funny that all three of the founders of Gutsy came from Twistlock. Uh, you typically see this in Silicon Valley where you get these guys that are very focused on building stuff. Um, you know, they, they, maybe they got their golden parachute when they left uh, Palo Alto after they, you know, were successfully acquired. But really what they want to do is they want to go out and do things. And so they, this is a need area that they saw. They're going to build solutions to work into it. And who knows? Um, if this takes off, they're probably going to spawn a whole bunch of competitors and maybe they'll get acquired again. Or maybe they'll just make a successful business this time. Either way, best of luck to all those friends because you know what? You got some guts. All right, uh, Brian, Huawei is forging ahead in the increasingly competitive all-flash array market with 33% growth, securing second place after our friends over at Dell. The entire external storage market has faced some challenges. Revenue has dropped by 14% 
uh, with traditional hard drive and hybrid revenues declining by 21%. Despite all of this, Huawei's significant growth in all-flash erase uh, revenue has really solidified their position as a key player in the industry, trailing only behind Dell. Now, I know that the storage industry has been facing some headwinds as of late, as we mentioned, not only with the revenue, but kind of where these things are being positioned. But Brian, is Huawei jumping into second place, sending a message that there's a significant growth to be had outside of the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely where Huawei plays the heaviest. Um, and, you know, with all the back and forth between the U.S. and, and China, um, Taiwan being a major factor in that back and forth, there's there's a lot of business going on that's not in the United States. And sometimes those of us here in the States fail to realize that there are even more people outside the U.S. than there are inside the U.S. So I'm, I'm sure that's playing a big part of it, um, especially as, as the trade wars heat up. And there's probably a lot more focus within China and countries aligned with China to go with a Chinese company over U.S. companies. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a fair, it's a fair assumption to, to be made there. Um, you know, the data is, as you look at some of the charts that, that have been produced around this data, um, is, is pretty interesting in and of itself too, because you, you see, um, leaders like, um, you know, friends at NetApp, they, they've been dominating this market for a very long time. And, and I don't want to say they're slipping in the market per se, because the whole market is slipping to, to a big extent. Um, but relative to um, players like Huawei and actually IBM, surprisingly, um, you know, they're they're gaining those others are gaining a lot of traction there. And so there's there's still a lot of competition in that market um, by no means is is all flash a done deal. Um, you know, prices on all flash are still continue to, to drive down um, across across all the vendors. And while there may not be as many new arrays being being purchased lately, which, you know, this, this data goes is based on Q2 data. So it's, it's not the, the freshest, most recent quarter, but it's an indicator of, of the general industry right now. Um, things are down worldwide. And so it's, it's kind of to be expected that things are depressing. Um, you know, there's, there's probably areas in, like I mentioned, China and, and those countries aligned with China that are probably growing faster than the U.S. right now. Um, they, 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 they may be having a little bit easier time of getting that capital and being able to build these things and, and, and investing in technology. So it's, it's a, it's a wacky market out there, um, is, is a common phrase I've used lately just to describe pretty much everything going on. So it's, it's an interesting proof point and, and seeing Huawei consistently, you know, it's quarter to quarter, it changes who, who the leaders are, but you're seeing Huawei consistently showing up. Um, more and more in the in the top five and now in the in the top two that clearly they're they're a player in this market more than more than a lot of people including myself before I looked at this data um, really started to realize uh, let's move on to um, another fun security topic um, Cisco has a big problem to deal with um, today as they work around a massive backdoor that was found in the Cisco iOS XE operating system the vulnerability is found in the web management interface and is being actively exploited by attackers. So a true zero day being taken advantage of, not something we see very, very often. Um, a vulnerability scanning firm said they were able to detect more than 10,000 affected devices with more very likely out there. 
Cisco is actively working to patch the affected systems, but the current remediation is to simply disable the web server if possible um, and make sure that it's not connected to the internet, which is kind of security 101 for these types of interfaces. So Tom, what what are you what else have you been hearing about this and, and what do you think the, the downstream impact is really gonna be um, with, with such a massive backdoor? Well, the problem is, is that the HTTP stack is allowing people to send crafted commands that allow them to get elevated privilege. And then with that elevated privilege, they're creating local user accounts. Okay, not a problem, right? Except there's a two-year-old bug that was patched that allows someone with local user access to be able to implant commands in the switch using a Lua script. Now, here's where it gets fun. That bug was patched two years ago. Even on patched systems, attackers are gaining access to be able to use those Lua scripts to do command and planning and things like that. That's really weird. So you're probably sitting there thinking to yourself, as Brian mentioned, well, that's a, a no-brainer, man. Don't turn on HTTP management on, on external interfaces. You want to hear a fun one? If you're using 802.1x authentication on the switch ports, in order to trigger the login prompt, you have to have an HTTP server running on the switch. Do you commonly go back and make sure that you're only running it on your user-facing ports? Or do you not know whether it's running on just your user-facing ports? Or do you even know which ports it's running on? I'll give you a hint. You probably don't because it just says IP HTTP server with no ACL limiting access from the outside source. Why would you? And that's the problem. This is not a situation where people don't know what they're doing. This is a situation where it's a very specific command that people may not even know can be limited or enabled on certain ports. And that's what Volncheck and Shodan are showing. And Volncheck, which is the company that did all the scanning and found all those devices, has released a tool for you to be able to go out and figure out if you have this doing, you know, internet facing stuff. And, you know, basically shut it down if you can, create ACLs to limit the inbound connections if you have to, wait for Cisco to release a patch and then figure out why an already patched vulnerability is being exploited as well. And that to me is like a recipe for disaster because ultimately what happens in these kinds of situations is, you know, it's the layering effect. It's not just one vulnerability. It's what you can get access to when you have multiple vulnerabilities. And then the next thing you know, you're in a lot of trouble. So good luck to anybody who's going to be staying up all night disabling uh, HTTP server redirects on their switches. And if you can't, well, I'll have to go in for a case of beer because you're definitely going to need that after you're done with this. Cloudflare has released an article this week talking about their shift away from baseband management controllers or BMCs towards a different style of lights out system control. The summary of this discussion is that modern server motherboards are much more complex than the older BMC technology and BMCs are forcing manufacturers to retool their workflows to uh, deal with these less complex systems and putting them directly on the motherboard. And that's causing waste and increased cost of the systems. What Cloudflare is proposing is something that's a PCI form factor called Data Center Ready Secure Control Modules or DCSCMs. The goal is for a DCSCM to provide the same functionality as a BMC but it's a card that's not integrated directly to the motherboard, which means it can be moved around two different systems whenever the servers are retired, which not only reduces waste, but allows the motherboards to be manufactured at a much different level, hopefully reducing their cost as well. 
Brian, what do you think about this proposal to get rid of BMCs? I, at first I was like, why would you do that? Like having it all in one system is, you know, it took us a long time to get to that point where that was more or less standard on, on most server systems. And then all of a sudden Cloudflare comes in and says, yeah, we, we don't like that. We're, we're going to change it. Um, they're running this all through open compute platform. So this is, this is a, 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 I think a proposed standard at this point for open compute. So we're going to see a lot of hyperscalers moving to this. Um, but when you dig into the details, I think it makes a lot of sense. The, you know, the, the, the deep down technical details that you mentioned around complexity of the system gets into, um, you know, in order to meet certain standards, everything has to be a certain number of lanes or a certain number of, of levels deep. And, and in order to maintain those standardizations, the BMC had to be dragged along and the BMC doesn't need that. BMC is, is by design should be fairly simple because it is that as long as we can get power into the box, we can have this lights out. We can have this, this backend system to get into the bigger system and hopefully be able to bring things up and do things remotely. And programmatically in the case for these, these companies that, that run at a hyperscale like Cloudflare does. So being able to, to have that is, is critical. And it doesn't need to be fancy. It doesn't need to be great. It just needs to be able to do the basic functions that they need. And so this is a huge thing when you're managing tens of thousands, if not millions of, of systems in, in data centers across the globe. Like you need a solid backend system to get in there. So obviously they put a lot of thought into this and, and they see a real need for that. Um, I think it's going to be a good thing overall because, you know, the, the the modularization that we've had in the past with systems is is a huge benefit. And, you know, Tom, you mentioned the, the ability to swap it out, being able to replace the BMC, to be able to upgrade the hardware without having to upgrade the entire system board. That's that's huge um, because those are not two systems that always need to upgrade together. Um, I know I used to live in the in the world of HPE servers and, you know, We'd always have to wait for the next gen of the system to be able to get the next version of ILO and vice versa. And, you know, HPE, I found was was a good leader in that space and, and creating a lot of really cool new features in that lights out in, in that lights out space. So being able to upgrade that separately. Um, they also highlighted the fact that they could upgrade the system board without having to upgrade the BMC, which actually will save them a ton of money because they don't have to manufacture those pieces over again. Um, in other words, you know, BMCs probably aren't going to to level up as often as the the system boards maybe are going to. So we can we could continue to use those. So reusability is huge. Obviously, that has huge implications to um, you know to to, to climate and, and e waste, which is which is no small problem these days, especially at these hyperscale levels. So I'm I'm really um, enthused by this. I think it's a really good thing. Um, it makes the makes the management of the system a little bit more complex because now you've got another component you've got to add and remove and move around. Um, but they obviously see that as, as a smaller disadvantage than the advantages they get from doing this. So overall, I, I applaud this. I, I think it's going to be cool. It'll be interesting to see how it filters down into um, you know the, the types of data centers that most of us are going to be dealing with um, where, where we're dealing with more of the pets than the cattle. Finally, today marks the launch of a new on-prem storage as a service offering from Myriad. Myriad has been making waves as the only company with GPU accelerated storage offerings. 
Ultra IO as a service is a way for Nereid to capture the market of on-prem devices that have requirements for very fast storage, but don't want to make the investment into traditional architectures. So Tom, how do you see this affecting the way that companies go to the cloud or adopt cloud-like technologies within their own data centers? So I think what's fascinating about this is that Nereid has kind of hit on this idea that you can use GPUs to do like all kinds of IO acceleration stuff. Any, literally like a DPU, that's the purpose of what a DPU does. It's IO acceleration. And if you've got spare GPU workload just sitting around, why not use it? So what they're doing is, is they're putting GPU acceleration into their storage arrays and they are doing crazy, crazy stuff. I mean, you know, you know dozens of gigabits per second of throughput on these things. But where the real value is, is capturing those workloads that people might not be able to move off-prem just yet, like backup. Imagine what you could do if your backup target could handle anything you threw at it and didn't blink, or you didn't have to worry about the processing of all the crazy stuff that's being added to data protection now. Things like entropy detection, for example, um, you know that's hugely valuable to people. Um, there's a lot of stuff that they're they're putting out there that are you know they're doing uh, block level right now. They're going to be doing file and object very soon. They can do it today with third parties, but they're going to be adding native file and object very soon as well. Um, I think that the the real value here is that we all know that no matter where you are you're never going to be able to move 100% of your workloads completely off-prem, especially if you're in a highly regulated industry like finance or medical or something like that. So Myriad has the real capability to kind of get down into those areas. And when you think about it, some of those places that can't move all their workloads into the cloud are also the ones that need to retain their data the longest. And that is where that data protection kind of avenue would uh, really appeal to them is we need it saved we need to be able to be backed up fast, but we need to make sure that we're not going to run into any hiccups down the road. And so I think that there's real value there. <laughs> now, of course, the other thing that usually happens is as more and more systems kind of get that HPC workload type performance, um, you know, you're going to have to start upgrading your storage arrays to kind of compete with those types of things. And I think that maybe Nereid can attach themselves to some of those upgrades as well and, and you know, have some success here. I mean, it's an interesting idea. I always love new, cool, novel technology. Uh, I'm just waiting to see how people are going to embrace the performance profile of these things. Yeah. So we had one story we wanted to take a little bit closer look at and, and discuss in a bit more depth. Um, you know, it's big news around the boardroom. Lisa Su, who is the CEO of AMD, has announced her departure from the Cisco Board of Directors. The move comes as a surprise in a recent SEC filing and was announced without any fanfare whatsoever. Sue has served on the Cisco Board since 2019. She is also stepping down from the Board of Analog Devices, a position she held since 2016. There is speculation that this departure could signal that AMD will begin moving into the networking space maybe more with a focus on DPU technology to compete against Cisco's entrenched positions with networking hardware. Tom, what do you, what do you think about that, that theory of, of this situation? I think it's probably closer to the truth than some of the other wacky stuff that I've been hearing. <laughs> and here's the reason why. Typically, when someone wants to make a big splash with a departure, you'll know about it. You'll hear that they're departing the board and we'll hear fair and fanfare and well wishes and 
you know, future endeavors and that kind of crap. But when someone leaves a board for a very different reason, like they're wanting to make sure that like maybe people didn't notice that they left, you'll typically hear about it weeks afterwards. You know, it's like when an executive departs and you find out a month after they've departed and it was for, you know, you know, um, you know, some sounds like crap reason. And then it turns out that there was actually a bigger problem going on. I don't think there's a problem here with Lisa Sue. What I think the issue is, is that they need to get Lisa away from Cisco to create that division. Because I think what's about to happen is, is that AMD is going to leverage their Xilinx acquisition to start really heavily moving into the uh, DPU market. And that kind of networking pedigree is going to come in direct conflict with Cisco very shortly. Uh, and there's all kinds of financial rules to say you can't, you know, double dip and stuff like that. And it's funny that she left the analog devices board position at the same time, which makes me think that there's going to be some co conflict there with, with analog devices as well. Uh, it's a good move, though, for AMD. When you look at the technology that they've been developing over the years, and specifically in the FPGA market with the Xilinx acquisition, FPGAs are uniquely suited to be doing a lot of heavy lifting in the accelerator market. And there's a lot of value when you look at what AMD, I'm sorry, when you look at what NVIDIA has been doing competing against AMD, when you look at the fact that Intel has heavily been using what they call IPUs, which are basically the same thing, um, and they've actually kind of uh, moved a lot of that uh, technology over to the PSG spinoff, um, I think what you're going to see is that a lot of companies are going to start investing heavily in here, especially in the cloud, by offering these basically DPU farms to be able to accelerate IO and things like that wherever they can. The problem, of course, is that legal trickery of, you know, can I sit on the board of a company that I'm competing against? And I think that that's what this was basically is I'm going to head on out. Now, she it wasn't just her. There were a couple of other people that left, and we don't know exactly what happened with them because they don't have to tell us why they're leaving. We just notice that they do in the filing. Um, so, I mean, Brian, do you think it's a good move for AMD to kind of go up against Cisco? Do you think they have, um, I don't know, the capability of competing in the networking market? I mean, you never know. Um, you know, making acquisitions that, that can play directly in that space is a good indicator that they have interest um, and, and that they're investing in that area. We don't know what investments they've made outside of that necessarily. There, there could be a lot of secret projects going on. They, you know, maybe they're taking a book out of Cisco's, out of Cisco or a page out of Cisco's book and have spun something else out that maybe is going to start coming coming to fruition and they're going to spin it back in and, and all of a sudden have a huge leapfrog effect there. So yeah, there's, there's, there's need for competition in that space. Um, and, and I think that um, AMD could have a big effect there. Um, you know, obviously they've been going toe to toe with Intel for years, um, various degrees of success over the years, but they're definitely on an upswing right now. So they can go toe to toe with the big, the big giants that are generally viewed as untouchable. Um, I think Cisco's a lot more touchable than than Intel is in a lot of ways. So I'm I'm looking forward to see what they do there. Um, I, I've always liked AMD as a company. I, I like the scrappy, smaller David versus Goliath story. So I'm interested to see what happens here. Um, you know, one of the side effects that I think will be interesting to watch as well is, you know, Cisco uses AMD processors, and how's that going to affect? You know, there, there's still a relationship there. Like they still need to work together, um, ideally. I, I think it benefits both companies. So I don't think they're going to to 
dissolve that relationship, but we've seen stranger relationship dissolves um, in in this industry in the past. But I think it's I think it's good for them. So a little a little you know cooperation type of situation could could make for um, an interesting mix in that space for sure. Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned that you know it's a David versus Goliath thing when you think about AMD being. David in this particular situation, it's kind of hilarious because, you know, they're, they're friggin' AMD. They're number two in the chip market, just not these chips. And as we learned with what Intel was going through, it's not easy to break into markets that you're not like the king of. And I think that where that, that positioning is going to matter is, does AMD kind of make their own thing and make a space that kind of co-op-eats with Cisco, like we're not going to unseat you from a switch perspective. We're not going to try to unseat you from a router perspective. We're just going to try to accelerate IO inside of a system that probably won't sour the relationship, but it's better to leave on your own terms than be forced out because of some kind of weird rulings. Um, I also think that, that the relationship that Cisco has with AMD solutions isn't going to go away anytime soon because the server side of Cisco is still very focused on, you know, providing the best performance that they can for what their customers' workloads need. And I think they're going to continue to do that as long as possible, maybe just kind of create a little function wall between the server compute side of Cisco and the networking side of Cisco. Plus, when you think about it, they're not really sharing a whole lot of information with AMD. They're more consuming those chips. I mean, Cisco still has switches, a few of them, that run Broadcom silicon. And you would think that those two companies would be competing against each other massively in the silicon market, but yet they still kind of work together and they're both members of the Ultra Ethernet Consortium. So they can they can get along when they have to. And I think that that's ultimately what you're going to start seeing from a lot of these companies that are basically becoming arms dealers, for lack of a better term. <laughs> uh, I'm going to provide chips for you to run this thing, but I'm going to develop my own chips that compete against you over in this space. And likewise, this company is going to buy chips from one manufacturer, but they're also going to buy chips from another one because, you know, you want to have supply chain diversity. And maybe that was one of the biggest things that came out of, of the pandemic and all of the things that we ran into is this idea that you can't just rely on a sole source to get things anymore. You have to have a way to make it all work together. And sometimes it means you have to go to a different group in order to get the things you need. Yeah. It, like I said, it's, it's going to be a really interesting potential moves that they're, they're going to make there. Um, and I, I don't see, I don't see the relationship disappearing. Um, but I definitely see the, the desire to avoid that conflict of interest. It's always better. I've, you know, in lots of different ways and in, in a long career now, sometimes the perception of a conflict of interest is enough to cause a problem. And so taking, taking the, the, I'm sure it wasn't an easy decision on her part. Um, but having that level of separation is, is, probably the the prudent move um you know it doesn't say that someday cisco doesn't start buying some of these things that they're and putting them into their own devices and now their relationship is even deeper um so who knows what could happen in the future she may end up back on the board again it's it's hard to say and of course we're, we're speculating so it could just be personal things maybe she just needs more personal time and sitting on all these boards is just too much Whatever happens, you can promise that we will definitely be covering it here on the rundown uh, each week, uh, Wednesday at uh, 1230 Eastern Time. What else we have going on is a lot of field day related items. In fact, today, right now, Stephen Foskett is at Cloud Field Day 18. Um, he's got great presentations from a lot of great companies over the next couple of days. 
you want to learn a little bit more about who's going to be there, just head over to techfieldday.com, check out the schedule and the lineup. Next week, I'm going to be out. I'm going to be at Networking Field Day. We're wrapping up networking events for 2023 uh, with six great presentations. If you check out the website, techfieldday.com, you can check out the schedule for Wednesday and Thursday. But also on Wednesday, Stephen's going to be on site in Cleveland at the Information Security Summit, and he's going to be doing the rundown from there. And so we're going to have some exciting conversations going on there. Stephen's going to be recording a lot of content that you can check out on gestaltit.com. Then the week in two weeks, three weeks from today, two weeks from next week, uh, we're going to be having Security Field Day 10. This is going to be a virtual event taking place on November the 8th. Um, you can check out the lineup of presenters by going to techfieldday.com and clicking on the link for Security Field Day 10. We're very excited to have our very own Brian Knudsen, who's going to be a delegate at that event. As mentioned, if you want to check out the rundown, we usually publish around 1230 Eastern time on Wednesday. We bring you all the news for the week that was. If you would like to subscribe to our YouTube channel, you can do so at youtube.com slash video. You can also search for the rundown, Gestalt IT rundown in your favorite podcast application of choice and get this in an audio format so you can check it out while you're out on a run or working on your car or mowing the lawn or whatever it is you need to take care of. Um, but we very much appreciate your listenership. We love the uh, commentation that we get on our videos about, you know, this is my favorite place to get the news. And I love how you guys have a take on things. And we sincerely appreciate it. And Brian, we sincerely appreciate you stepping in today to help us out. If people want to check out some of the stuff you're working on, where can they go to learn more? Yeah, my website is knut.net. So K-N-U-D-T.net. Um, or you can probably find me on LinkedIn is, is the next best place. Um, just <clears throat> search for Brian Knutson or, you know, the socials that um, usually B. Knutson is, is the handle that I pick up there. Um, today, mostly Mastodon. And you can definitely follow us on social media by searching for Gestalt IT. Um, we're pretty much everywhere there. You can also follow us on LinkedIn. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Stephen will be coming to you from ISS. Uh, until then, take care of yourselves. We will see you soon. <laughs>